0: You know, it's a—it's not just a topic that, that I'm interested in, but I think it's really everything that I strive uh, strive to do in my life. I want to be a leader.
1: Welcome to the Inspire podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnal, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence, Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. Really excited to welcome Mike Corey on the show today. Mike is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of CN Rail. If you don't know CN, well, odds are they have moved goods that you have bought. They have over 25,000 people. They move $250 billion worth of goods around North America. They have trains, but they've got more. They're really an entire transportation and logistics company. And they have steadily, year after year, grown the business, become more efficient, and really position themselves as the leader in this space and a lot of that goes to leadership it goes to Mike and how he and his team operate the railway and Mike's story is, is just such an incredible one he has risen from the very entry level to the very heights of the company and he's done it all because of his commitment to leadership his commitment to listening his commitment to empowering people And so whatever role you are in, whatever you do, there's something in Mike's story that you're gonna take away and understand how you can improve your ability to speak as a leader. So enjoy my conversation with Mike Corey. So joining me on the Inspire podcast today is Mike Corey and Mike is the Chief Operating Officer at CN Rail. So Mike, welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, it's uh, great to be here, Bart. Great to talk to you again. One
1: of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that uh, you're someone in the years that I've known you, that I've worked with you, has been so focused on leadership and leadership as a tool that's enabled you to deliver incredible results in operating CN, um, helping it grow and helping it serve customers. So thought you could come on and uh, share with us a bit about your philosophy of how to lead.
0: Oh, excellent. I would be more than happy to have a good thorough discussion about leadership because it's really, it, you know, it's, a, it's not just a topic that, that I'm interested in, but I think it's really everything that I strive, uh, strive to do in my life. I want to be a leader.
1: Yeah, and, and you, you clearly have through your career. I mean, maybe let's just start there. How do you define leadership?
0: In, in a simple sentence, leadership is making people better than they think they can be. And certainly it's not an exercise in getting them to emulate what you do, but it's really bringing out the best in people. And you do that in a variety of ways. You know, for for me, the biggest thing, or one of the biggest things, I shouldn't say the biggest thing because there's obviously quite a few things, but I really have a, a thirst to be curious. I want to learn. And... Um, because of um, you know my, my background where I started, I was uh, an extremely talented hockey player when I was young, and I mean young up to 14, 15 years old. You know, and at that point in life, I made the jump um, to play junior hockey, and I stopped learning. And for for whatever reason, I don't look back as to, uh, to what led me to that. But I was I was very talented, very skilled. I didn't practice as as hard. I didn't reach out to try to figure out ways to make myself better. And so from that, um, I started actually to develop into the leader I am today because what I found, even though I couldn't make myself or I didn't make myself better, I started to, uh, and this is throughout my junior hockey career, I started to actually understand the value of teamwork and how you can still be a leader without being, let's say, the top goal scorer or the highest position in, uh, in a company. You can still be a leader by understanding what the expectations are, are of you, and really trying hard to fulfill them. And I'll give you the example with hockey. So as I progressed through junior hockey, you know pretty quick whether you're going to become a, a professional hockey player or not. Usually by about 16, 17 years. Probably even younger today. But back then it was about 17 or 18 years old. And I and I knew. So I started taking on the role on the teams I played. Um, I was more of a, a cheerleader, more of a as a veteran that that would play in certain spot situations, sometimes not play, but still, the, you know, what I was brought up with in my hockey career was that the, uh, the crest on the front of the sweater is far more important than the name in the back. And I, I've taken that throughout my entire life from hockey right through business. So the goal wasn't for Mike to make the NHL at some point, the goal was for my team to win. And I was very lucky, I guess, to have played on some successful junior hockey teams um, that, that you know, actually did win. And when I got the opportunity to then work at the railway, you know, I started as a as a laborer at the railway. It was a summer job as I played hockey. And uh And what does a laborer there, I, do? Oh I cleaned literally cleaned toilets and windows on locomotives in my hometown of Winnipeg. And so I, I uh I transferred from being a laborer. In fact I got laid off, but then I I got a phone call from uh, from somebody in the employment office that said, "Hey, you know, during your psychological test when you hired on as a as a laborer, I didn't really even know they did take psychological tests, but they did. We found that you may have an aptitude to become a clerk." So, I was given an opportunity, and this was this was a, a big office with probably, you know, a couple of hundred different positions. As again, this is early 80s, we uh they were they were starting to bring in this computer system and there were so many people that were so afraid of it that I was one of these young people that came in and I learned probably just first of all for a couple of things it made me money and second the more I learned the smarter I got and the more I was able to learn i worked very very hard i would work uh, 70 80 hours a week and as i did that i started to realize more and more about this great company i work for and the very not just the various positions but Um, what I had to do to actually add more value again, the crest on the front of my sweater was now CN.
1: What I'm really hearing is this principle around your curiosity and your desire to learn drove you from that entry position from hockey really to management. Is that a fair comment?
0: It it is Bart. And, and, uh, another piece to that though, is I also learned from a previous failure and I didn't let that stop me from succeeding, you know, from doing something to succeed. And that failure was, I wasn't curious. I felt that the talent I had was enough. Uh, and, and to this day, I, make, I mean, I learn every day. That's the one thing that keeps bringing me back. The moment I can't learn is, is the moment I can't contribute. When I can't contribute to the goal of the team, then I certainly can't lead.
1: Uh, and that's really
0: what this is all about.
1: Let's delve into this learning mindset a bit because I know that's something you still have. And I know it's something that you practice through communication. So let me ask you a couple questions about it for people listening who might say, "Well, how do I develop this? How do I practice this curiosity?" And, and let me start by asking you, if you have this mindset as a manager, as an executive, what do you communicate to people in your organization that shows it to them?
0: OK, Well, well, I certainly communicate my story at any opportunity. But I, I really focus on it, and I encourage the collaboration of people and their different skill sets. And I, I do it in such a way whether it's, uh, you know, I've spoken to you before about I, I like to bring together, not, not for group think necessarily, but for group learn. I like to bring together people in my leadership uh, group. And I like to go even deeper than just obviously my direct reports. I go a few layers deep and try to get a good cross section of people that that first of all have, um, they, they have the right, how can I put this, they, they have the right mindset in terms of they wanna share. Leadership is about sharing also. And I want people that aren't, that aren't looking to just uh, to get something in it for them, but I want them to be able to share what they know and then at the same time extract what others know so that we, we <laughs> We, uh, we share skills here at CN um, quite frequently. And so for, for me, like how do I communicate it? First, I model it. I model, I model the behavior. I'm the first one to ask the proverbial dumb question. But more than that, I try to boil down very complex situations through experience. And when I don't have experience in something, I try to create it. I'll give you an example. I have a, obviously a, a huge amount of civil engineers that work for me. And when I started, uh, when I started in, in, um, in, a, in an operations role at, an, at a senior level, so I, I worked in transportation for quite a while uh, where, you know, conductors and engineers do certain things and trains do certain things, but I wasn't really responsible for, for track maintenance, track design, track construction. And again, I'm not a civil engineer, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but not just in my role today, but previous roles, I've had to be, I w- I've been responsible for track And something like a, an LD ratio, which is this very complex uh, ratio that was developed to, to really try to figure out how do we keep, uh, or how do we prevent wheels from climbing up the rail and causing derailments? Now, when I was first brought to me, people tried to show me the ratio and Nadal, the guy who figured it out, and all these great things. I just, I needed experience, so I created it by going out and testing it. Now I had that luxury to a certain degree, but I can go back to, you know, when I was when I was trying to figure out as a young clerk what these numbers and and, uh, what these numbers and and, uh, contents of cars meant. I went physically to places to go and see and look inside and and understand. Like I create the experience when I don't have it, and I find by bringing people together with that with different skill sets if you if you can get them to collaborate and speak at a level that the other not at their level that they understand but at the level that the person who's asking understands it, it by by teaching you learn even more
1: hmm. and and i think that's something you do so well that you're able to whether you're talking to the analyst whether you're talking to someone in engineering whether it's someone in sales you're able to speak in a language that resonates with them and, and i wonder about What advice would you give someone? I mean, so often um, there's this concept I wrote about in my book, um, Leading Through Language, the curse of knowledge, that we get so deep into our own knowledge that we lose the ability to perceive how the uh, the audience doesn't have that depth. If you think of one of these situations where you've brought a group of talented, disparate professionals together and you hear them talking but not hearing each other, what, what, do you, what would you tell them to help them better communicate in a way that will get through?
0: What I try to do, the person I'm delivering my message to or I'm speaking to or I'm teaching, I want them to paraphrase back to me in their own way and own words what the basic content of what I'm saying is.
1: Right. So you're, you're watching. You're almost sitting back and watching and saying, uh, is this getting through or is there a disconnect? And body language is a big cue for you.
0: And to the point, uh, sometimes I find I have to, I apologize for interrupting, but I want to make sure there's a base understanding between parties so that like, it's got to be clear. Clarity is probably the most important thing. And and whether you're talking about expectations you have of somebody or expectations of where you want to go as a group, the, the initial clarity, the initial mission has to be fully understood. And if it's not, then you you first of all you 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 risk the chance that people will create silos that aren't there that people will go about and be scared to actually challenge what the concept or thought is which is again not good a respectful challenge is really what you want when you're trying to teach because um, that's the feedback you're looking for to see if somebody understands Um, and so what i try to do is always. Very closely be on the lookout for that to the point that I'm not afraid to interrupt at any particular time to slow it down, stop, redirect, course correct, whatever, whatever is needed to make sure that as you progress through this conversation, through this session, through this learning opportunity, that people are aligned on, on, and, and clear about what that mission is you're trying to accomplish.
1: Let's move to a, to provide clarity on the mission. And I know you worked for Hunter Harrison, who is an absolute legend in the transportation industry, who made a profound impact not just on how CNs run, but on railways like CP and uh, and others. Take us back to the moment where Hunter arrived to take over operations, and how he provided you and your your colleagues with that clarity of what the mission was going to be.
0: Sure, I will I'll let me share with you my first uh first introduction to to Mr. Harrison. I in my whole career I never called him Hunter. I mean ne- never to his face. It was always Mr. Harrison and that was just out of respect. Um, he deserved the Mr in front. Um, my first uh opportunity to to meet with Mr. Harrison. I was working for the Vice President of Transportation. I was going all around looking at ways to be more productive. So I was in different terminals and yards and doing these things and I got a call from him one day and and Hunter had arrived and Hunter really wanted to understand how we ran the railway. He wanted to know from the smart car movers and that's what he described the people how we did things here. So I I ended up doing that. I put a 20 page document together with this other person that I had worked with and he was a unionized person I'd worked with in my uh, earlier in my career. Um, and we had always envisioned how we would run this railway if we got the chance. And so uh, it was a basic word document. I put it together and I sent it uh, off. And I had to come to Montreal to meet him. And I, I came here. The document was on the table in front of him. And Hunter looked at it and quickly. And I knew he had looked at it ahead or I thought he had looked at it ahead of time. And he said, who did this? And, you know, within that split second of time, many things run through your mind like a like am I going to get fired for this? Is it a good thing? And I was just honest. I said, well, I did it through, you know, a lot of experience with other people. And, but, but yeah, I put it together and he turned right away to that vice president and said, why don't we run the railway like this?
1: You must have breathed a great point, sigh of relief right there.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And for the next four hours though, he, this is four hours. And he was the chief operating officer. He took the time to walk me through, to be extremely clear about what the mission was going to be and what he expected of people like me, and what I should expect of people of other people, how we should set certain standards, and he, and he told stories about his about his uh, his his life and his experience in that, um, that that would help me in the future. Essentially, not just do the same thing, but but you know want to want to understand and learn more about this great business I was in. Because it's not just about moving cars.
1: Right. And it wasn't just about numbers on a sheet or concepts. He, he brought it to life with stories. And maybe this is a good transition to how you, you know, how you communicate the mission. I mean, if you were, if you were giving advice, let's say you had a newly promoted vice president or director, and he, he or she said to you, Mike, what, are, what is the most effective way that I can convey clarity about the mission? What would you say to that person?
0: What I, I, I use I use analogies uh, along with you know stories, but the story is built around an analogy. So there's a comparison for that person to use, and they, but it's something that they understand. So I, I take the time at the outset to learn more personally about the person that I'm about to work with, talk to, lead, so that I can I can find a way to compare what I want to tell them to some way. Again, this goes back to I want to create experience for them. And that that's the to me how I've been able to learn. And I was not a great student because I really I need to have some form of experience. And if I if I don't have it already and it's something I can't build on, then I need to go and, and create it by whether it's you know, really it's boiling down to a basic analogy. It's um trying to trying to make uh I try to teach the person in a way that they can relate to it.
1: So you need to understand what I'm hearing is First, you need to understand what kind of experiences the audience will relate to. Second, you've got to have your own personal experience to be credible about You can't just say, well, you know, this has to go A to B. You've got to, as you said, get out there and learn. And third, you've got to then communicate that with stories and the kind of personal conviction to make it come to life.
0: That's, let's see, I couldn't say it better. Um, that's, that's exactly what he did. That's what I. I he reinforced it that day, and I've done the same um, essentially throughout my career. But I don't. I'll be honest. I don't BS that either. If I don't have the experience, I go into full learning mode. And sometimes I take. I, this is where I guess. Uh, this is where trust. This is where relationship building. These things come to play because I, I've from my the job I'm on right now. I've I've got. Eighteen thousand employees that report up to me. I've got operations in uh, thirty-five states, uh, you know, ten provinces, and I, I can't be the smartest person in the room always, but I can certainly be the I can be the strongest learner and listener.
1: And I can hear that that's something that you know has run through your career. Uh, this commitment to learning, this humility, and and then you know as you grew, you know, adding in that concept of the mission. is very powerful. And, and I want to fast forward and, uh, to a third thing that you've talked a lot about over the years I've known you, is that leadership for you is about helping others realize their potential, enabling them to succeed. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, is that something you talk about with people? And if so, you know, what kind of messages do you deliver to them that uh, about why that's important to you?
0: Oh, that's, that's what really makes me wake up in the morning, Bart. I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to sacrifice, and it's for others. Um, my belief, the, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm blessed to be married to someone that uh, feels exactly the same way, I think anybody can succeed if they're loved or if they're cared for. And that's just that's, just how, I, that's how I run my show. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't make tough decisions. And that doesn't mean I don't inject a level of aggressiveness when it's needed. But deep down, I fully believe in people. And it's my job to make them uh, not like me, to make them better than they think they can be.
1: I mean, that's that's quite a, um, uh, you know, uh, that could be something that viewed quite controversially. I mean, do, do you ever find when you go in to meet with groups, and I know you also work in a unionized environment, that people just say, that's a load of you know, BS. Do you get that? And if so, how do you respond?
0: Yeah, it's funny, I don't get it. Um, and maybe it's because of the longevity I've had uh, within this company. Um, people like good things. And, and again, I, uh, I'm, I'm consistent, I'm honest. Uh, I always, always uh, put integrity uh, and and I, I walk my talk. I, I stand by my word. It's not easy uh, to be. And, and let me put this I shouldn't say it's not easy. It's extremely difficult. It takes a lot of, of sacrifice, and not just my personal sacrifice, but my family sacrifice, my staff sacrifice. That's just, um, and it doesn't always work. You don't satisfy everybody. And like I said, sometimes decisions have to be made that benefit the enterprise. That don't, that don't necessarily that, uh, benefit the, the individual. But I, these, these are basic beliefs I have that if you, uh, you know, simple things, you treat people the way you want to be treated. If you care for people, they will care for you. Um, my whole uh, success has been built around building trust. And when you build trust, you have speed. And when you have speed, things take place. Actions happen. If you don't have that, if you can't generate that, um, you will be bogged down in uh, whether it's uh, mystery or deceit, or uh, uh, people not people will not walk through that fire with you. But when they know and they and people understand, we're, none of us are, are perfect. But if they know that you care, that you're willing to go arm in arm, that you're going to eat last, okay, they're. they're and that, you know, we all know about uh, Simon Sinek and, and the way he uh, the way he portrays the yeah the importance of the leader making sure that those around him or, or her are fed first. Um, I, that's just a principle. I've lived my life that way.
1: Mike, I wanted to ask you about um, moments where you've you've had to show courage, show courage and, and commitment to these values. Any stories that come to mind?
0: Yeah, Bard, and and I do this out of utmost respect. He's passed away now, but I can give you an example when when you know Mr. Harrison came to CN. It was um we had just finished being a Crown Corporation. Our culture was such that very accepting. Um, we weren't really as driven as what he was about to uh, bring to us. Um, accountability wasn't really high on the agenda. Uh, it, it, I shouldn't say it, really, it wasn't really high, but it wasn't as high as, he would, as about what he was about to unleash. And so I had difficulty with him because, again, I, I believed in people. And I, I was a business person. I, I believed in uh, meeting re- end results, whether they be budget, whether they be efficiency, whatever it may be. But I did it in a way where I, I put people, at a, I would say, to be honest, at a higher premium than, than Mr. Harrison did as he was trying to make significant change at the same time. That needs to be acknowledged. It wasn't, I wasn't obviously in the same role as him. And so um, he, he pushed me very, very far to change the way I, uh, the way I managed people, the way I built teams and built trust. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that I didn't, I
1: didn't, um, I didn't alter my beliefs. I was going to say that probably resulted, given how forceful a personality he was, and you having to stand up for your values.
0: To the point, Bart, this got to the point where he literally took me out of a position and set me aside for a period of time. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, I, I had to look in the mirror quite a few mornings and wonder, do I need to change and be more like something I wasn't? But I stuck to my values. I, I worked through that and it built an incredible amount of resiliency for me. Thick skin, uh, a belief in myself.
1: Was there a moment where you had to tell Hunter, or tell Mr. Harrison, that his views about people should evolve? And how did that go?
0: Yes, um, it, I did have that moment. And to be honest, at first it didn't go well. He um, <laughs> What did he, he say to you? He didn't. Well, he said, you're not doing that job anymore. <laughs> and so he took me off this very, you know, pretty high profile position and set me aside and uh, said that that's not the way uh, you'll be successful. And, um, and I said, well, if I can't be successful the way I feel right doing it, then I don't wanna be successful that way. I don't wanna be successful in how you see it. And um, I got put in a penalty box for a while and like I, you know i had to really dig deep to uh, to again I, I was not going to love the success i could get by by doing it in in the way he wanted me to and that was very important to me to stick to my guns about how people should be treated about um how important trust and belief in the mission with a team means and the, a lot of these i went back uh, i went back to my hockey playing days i I soul-searched, but I stood by my guns, and I went back at him and explained, uh, first of all, yes, there, there's there's usually many things that uh, create that type of significant emotional event, so for any of those that I needed to learn and change, absolutely, but the, the core me, my belief in people, my belief in my service to others as a leader was not going to change, and... um he, uh, he listened. and Then he gave me an opportunity. When he gave me that opportunity, I had to produce the right uh, results, yet at the same time, not, not detour away from my belief in how to treat people. And uh, it worked. And well, I admire you. I admire self-
1: you because I know he was, uh, I never had the privilege of meeting him, but <laughs> I know by reputation for many of my clients, he was a forceful personality. So to have the courage to speak yeah, well, up, uh, it's powerful. Yeah,
0: so I went from the, I went from the penalty box literally to the power play to the <laughs> vice
1: president. I like quickly.
0: it. And uh, we had a great relationship up until the day he died.
1: So, Well, thank you for sharing that story. I'm sure your, your honesty is part of why that is. So if you had to sum up you know, your closing thought for anyone listening who wants to kind of put these things into action, what would you tell them?
0: I'll keep it short because it should be short. I, I'd say be curious. Just have this thirst for learning. W- want, want in many ways to be the, not the smartest person in the room, but the smartest person you can be. Second, be considerate. Be considerate of others to the point that you take that extra time to really understand what makes them tick. How can you make them better than they can be? Third, be collaborative. Nobody, nobody succeeds on their own. I'm, I'm a classic example. I, I have succeeded because of so many great people that I've had the, the good fortune to work with, work for, and have worked for me. And then, you know, be strong. Develop your beliefs. Stick to them. But don't be scared to course correct. Be very cognizant, very perceptive of when what you're trying to do isn't working. And many times people aren't going to tell you, and especially as you rise through an organization, People are afraid of your title, they're afraid of your position, they're afraid of what, afraid of what you might do. Don't wait for someone else. Be cognizant through, through whether it's body language, discussion, and results. If you're not achieving, you be the, you be the person that makes the, uh, the course correction and learn from your mistakes. And you know, lastly, Bart, I just say uh, find a way to be satisfied. If you don't love what you do, if you don't love what you're doing, you won't be able to do these things. You won't be able to love others. And that's, um, that's when it's time to change. It's when it's time to get out. Um, and uh, that, that's really, you, you have to just you have to love what, what it is you're doing or it's just not going to work.
1: Well, and you're someone who's clearly, clearly loved what you're doing. And I think that's a big part of why you've had so much success and why you've enabled others to succeed. So, Mike, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thank you my
0: pleasure thank you
1: Bart hope you enjoyed my discussion with Mike Corey of CN Rail he's just someone who I could talk to for hours the passion the humanity the authenticity listening to him you can understand why people would follow him anywhere and have so yeah just a neat discussion Um, and tune in next week I've got another uh, fascinating person Accomplished executive, her name is Deborah Gillis. She, uh, I got to know Deborah at first in her role as president and CEO of Catalyst, which is a global nonprofit that supports women, which we've done a lot of work with over the years. And now Deborah is president and CEO of CAMH Foundation, which is uh, focused on transforming how Canadians understand and address mental illness in the workplace and society. And Deborah and I talk about why the time has come to promote cultures of mental health and places we work and uh, share some strategies on how you can do that. So it's timely. It's, uh, It's a great conversation. I encourage you to tune in. Thanks.